0: And thank you again for joining me on the Mad Moon podcast. I am your host, Katie Moon. So today I have a lovely guest called Charlotte. Uh, We have a big chat about education in nursing. We talk about gratitude, leadership, off duty. We talk about the challenges of being a step parent and childcare, compassionate leave, grief. We cover so many heavy topics um, straight away. And then we talk a lot about Charlotte's coping mechanisms in the second half and how she manages her mental health, anxiety, wellbeing. Um, It's a really lovely chat. I think because Charlotte has got such a soft way and I'm so scatty and fast and loud, she really like brings me down a notch or two. And it's really nice. Listening back to it, it made me feel very calm. So you'll hear me bang on about Schwartz Rounds again which I think I'm going to try and purposely bang on about in every episode. So I will hand you over to me and Charlotte. Enjoy! Hello Charlotte, you okay? Good thank you, how are you? Yeah good thanks. So thank you so much for joining me on the Mad Moon podcast. You are my seventh guest, so very exciting. Um, Do you want to just tell the listeners how we know each other vaguely?
1: Uh, Friends of friends.
0: Yeah, so we've got friends, haven't we? And then I remember being a student nurse and you were already qualified and you were a band five, I think, weren't you? So like, yeah 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 and we I'm sure I had a placement where you worked and and then it's just we know each other from around don't we yeah yeah (laughs) so we obviously spoke before coming on coming on now and Mm -hmm. we had quite a big chat I think didn't we about loads of different things and do you want to just tell people listening just a bit more about you really and just a bit of an introduction to your I mean your current job role and your journey as a nurse
1: um, so I've been qualified for nine years now, um, and I've worked as both Band Five and Band Six, um, and worked currently working as a practice nurse, okay.
0: um,
1: which is a completely different role to what I'm used to. Yeah,
0: and and has been being a practice nurse. Have you always been in a hospital setting?
1: Yes. Yeah. Always been in um, a hospital. So it was something completely uh, different and a totally different avenue.
0: And what made you change? What made you leave the hospital setting?
1: Um, I was at a point where I think I just needed to try something different and um, get out of my comfort zone and kind of try and find my love for nursing again, I think.
0: It is, did you feel like you had lost your love for it then at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely felt that um, I'd lost that. I uh, yeah.
0: Was there anything specific that kind of triggered that feeling?
1: Um, I think it was just a build-up of things that had happened and you kind of keep plodding on, putting on a brave face and just kind of, oh, it'll be okay um kind of brush everything that you feel to the side and um just keep going and then you get to a point where you you just can't keep going anymore yeah I think wow that's how it what, what it was like for me
0: yeah and would you say it was because of like did you feel emotionally burnt out physically was it the patient's management the shift work like was there anything specific um or all of the
1: above all of the above um probably emotionally burnt out um is probably more how I felt um and all of the above have probably paid like parts um at one point or another and then you know you've got stresses that go on in you know the rest of your life that you kind of have to put aside and come to work smiling and being someone that the patients want to see and have look after them and it's just a bit exhausting after a while
0: yeah it's almost like you have like you say you have to put on this front and face don't you and you have to be cheerful and happy all the time and like morning how are you because yeah it's that and I don't know if you agree with this but they're they're in a much worse situation than you they're in hospital they're poorly like there's something wrong with them they can't eat the food they eat they've got to eat hospital food they're in a hospital bed they're being woken up all night every night they're sleep deprived they're probably in pain or so you're just I think it makes you minimize any of your problems doesn't it yeah because you're surrounded by sick people it makes you think like oh god it could be worse you know that could be my mum, or that could be me in that bed or Did you feel like that pressure to, because it is pressure, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I always remember something like when I was going through my nurse training, it's like you don't really show any emotion to your patients. Mm. It's something that's always kind of stuck in my mind. You know, you have to put, you know, you shouldn't really be showing your problems or showing Any emotions really. You've just got to be that happy person, the person that makes it all better. And yeah. You know, I don't think it's a realistic expectation to give people or tell people to do, really.
0: No, I completely agree. It's not it's not human and it's not normal and it's not natural to be okay all the time, is it? And I think I get it with having to obviously be professional and with patients you know you're not going to go up to your patient who's in a hospital bed and cry and be like I'm having a really bad day like this is happening and but just being able to have that open environment and that supportive team around you like did Mm -hmm. you feel did you did you have a supportive team did you have good colleagues and a good manager and
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah um I would say yes, but again, everyone has their own issues and just their own things going on. So all of that, like, it's just so hard to be so supportive, I think, when you've got other things going on yourself or you've got other stressors. It's just a really difficult situation, I think. And but I would say, yeah, I would say that that everyone
0: was you know, quite supportive. Were they quite, did, did you work, did you feel like everybody was open and did you feel like it was such an open environment that if you were struggling and you did want to talk about it, you could just say, if someone said to you, oh, you're all right, you're all right, Charlotte? You could go, no, I'm a bit out of sorts today. I've got stuff going on at home and I just, I just I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not as focused or, did you feel like you can no. keep that open? No. And then there's a part
1: of you as well where you don't really want everyone knowing your business at the same time, um, which makes it difficult as well.
0: It's finding that balance and those boundaries, isn't it? Because yeah. I think it's really important to have that open, envi- that open environment and culture, but it's people respecting your boundaries that you've given them a little bit, you've given them an in and been like, right, mm-hmm. I'm having a tough time. But it doesn't mean you want them to ask you every five minutes, "Are you okay?" or to kind of pressure you into really telling them the details. But I think yeah. the biggest things we're lacking as nurses is any tra- any sort of formal training or education on well being or how to mm-hmm. recognise compassion fatigue in our colleagues and in in ourselves. And we just don't talk about it, and we don't have any. Well, many or any, depending where people work, kind of forums where we can just vent and just have, you know, do you know what I mean? Just have that really open culture. Yeah, yeah. Just no pressure and no kind of fear or stigma attached to it. Like you say, that pressure of, you know, we're supposed to be okay. We're, We're supposed to be looking after everybody else and it's hard, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. You're looking after everyone, but you know, do you have time to look after yourself or who is looking after you?
0: Um,
1: is it is tough? And I think there is still a stigma attached to not being okay. And you know, especially in the healthcare environment, people kind of do judge you on that. I don't think it's something that even if you were open about would just be accepted. I think that like not everyone but there would be judgments made about you
0: yeah definitely. but I think
1: that I don't know why that's just my opinion or
0: well your experience your are yeah based on your experience it's sad really because I think like anything you always remember the worst don't you you always remember that like if you've had a hundred compliments and you get one negative comment it's the negative comment you hold on to and if you're naturally kind of designed to overthink or to have negative thoughts then that one negative thought will be really overbearing and then it's kind of prevents you from ever opening up again doesn't it
1: yeah definitely and I don't think you know hopefully things may have changed now and obviously it was a long time ago that I was at uni but I think teaching nurses from the beginning to be open and, you know, to be able to talk things and give them the skills to be able to look after themselves and fill their cups back up would mean that there would be less burnout, there would be less compassion fatigue, that, you know, all these issues that come with um, working in a healthcare environment, you know, there'd be less of them. Because yeah, people you- are given the resources at the start Yeah, to be resilient.
0: Yeah, completely. Because I think the word resilience as well is, is used in completely the wrong manner and context. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know where this idea that resilience means you suppress your emotions and you suppress it and you keep your shit together, as they call it, and mm-hmm. you deal with it in private at home. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's not resilient. So like, I think there is much more strength than being vulnerable and being able to say, shit, this is, this is hard. Like, I am really struggling. Like, this is overwhelming. Like, this is difficult. And a lot of people don't see it like that, do they? It's seen as a weakness. No. So it's, not, it's yeah, like, con- like about the context of it. And your, again, your understanding and interpretation of it. And I hate that. I hate like oh you know these these new nurses coming in they're not as resilient so I know hang on a second how dare you call us not resilient it's we're, we're a completely different kind of cohort of nurses aren't we
1: and yeah and things are a lot different now to you know things are ever changing more responsibility is being put out there you know more paperwork needs to be filled, and you know you're held accountable if that's not filled out, even though you're trying to do the best care. You know, um, you've got uh, well six, probably even more at the moment. Um, but like six patients to look after. You know, twelve of a night time. Yeah. If them patients are in, well, that one patient would take up all of your time. And who's looking after the other eleven? You know, you've got one patient that. You know, has dementia, is not sleeping, trying to get out of bed. You're trying to prevent them falling. Heaven forbid something else happens to someone else, but you're accountable for that. And you're then, you know, pulled up in front of, like, if the worst happens, coroner's court. And that is a lot of responsibility and, you know, accountability. And how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I'm completely with you. I think. I think there really should be something at uni when you're training because nursing is such an amazing career and there's so many options and there's so much choice and there's so many different routes and avenues you can take in nursing and you'll be you know you'll never be without work as a nurse like we're so lucky in that respect but at the same time it's it's a really emotionally draining and challenging role and it's just it blows mm. my mind that nowadays we we don't enforce or make mand- make it mandatory some sort of well-being support or why aren't we all like dual trained as counsellors why don't we have to do our level level two and three a, a, a in counselling and well-being it should just be i think that should be standard at school though as well to be honest Is yeah that something they do at schools even in primary schools
1: yeah being a lot more aware and you know and like you were saying a minute ago about the resilience it's not just burying your your feelings that's not resilience resilience is being able to talk about your feelings and kind of acknowledging them and you know if you're having a bad day accept that you're having a bad day or something's gone wrong you've not done something the best of your ability don't beat yourself up about it reflect on it learn from it yeah and kind of grow not oh my God, this means I'm not good at my job, you know? And I think in the healthcare environment, things are so focused on the negative, you know, you don't get enough praise for the positive or, you know, even just saying thank you to someone at the end of the day for their hard work goes a long way. And I don't, that's not, not, it doesn't always happen. That doesn't happen enough.
0: Yeah I completely agree and my experience having returned to the NHS after four years off so the last like seven months I have not seen enough of that like people have said thank you and you know there are all user communications that go out in emails and things and you know with especially like pandemic specific with the clapping and the, the gifts mm-hmm. sent into hospitals and things but it's almost like you need to hear it from your, from your team and your leadership and your management yeah. to be like, like you say, not even just a thank you and the gratitude and appreciation, but the acknowledgement that something was really difficult. Like, I know today was hard, but you've all smashed it. Like, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you all. It's okay that, you know, that you're struggling. Make sure you, you come and tell me, but I just want you to know you're all doing a really good job. You just need that validation, don't you? Yeah.
1: And I think don't get it needs to be sometimes, not all the time, because I appreciate there's a lot of staff, but at least personalized or be a little bit more personalized. Like emails are great, you know, especially now in the pandemic, it makes it more difficult, but you don't have that um social interaction like you do. You can't read people's body language, you know at least saying thank yous where someone can hear it and they can hear it in your voice that you are actually grateful would make such a difference to people
0: yeah definitely i think we need to like digitalize things a lot more like like you said we can't have like the chief exec and chief medical officer and chief nursing officer and all these people who are you know sorting out all this strategic stuff political stuff way above me they can't be swanning around the wards and you know seeing everybody but why don't they do like I know this is going off on a bit of a random tangent but they should do like video clips and stuff do you know what I mean yeah like put it on like the hospital website do a do a clip like we've got we've now got hospital like twist like twitter pages and instagram pages like yeah. do a video clip saying like I'm so grateful to all of you like I know I can't come and see you and blah 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 and yeah rather than an email that's probably not even been written by that person yeah exactly it's like it's just a, t- a tick box isn't it it's just lip service like oh yeah make sure you send out a thank you and it's like it just feels so insincere doesn't it yeah but I do think gratitude is really important I mean you were am I right you saying you became a sister when you worked in the hospital setting yeah you you've been in a position where you've been in a leadership role and you've coordinated and you've had to look after your staff and did you ever experience anything where you've had to you've had to recognize your staffs your staff are struggling or your colleagues are struggling mentally and refer them on or or was that not something that ever came into kind of your scope as that role um not something that really
1: came into my role although I did do sick reviews um anyone that was kind of on the long-term sick or had more complicated things the ward managed out with yeah. um I would always try and say thank you to people um and acknowledge you know the work that they've done um I was always myself very mindful of kind of accommodating off duty yeah. which there is a system that does it all for you and you need to get it within certain points and these blue lovely skies appear but in reality you know I think working the off duty around your staff so that they can have a few more days off spend some time with the family or whatever they need to do um makes for a, a happier work environment um, but it doesn't you know everything's analyzed on the computer system so it wasn't always that easy and why haven't you got blue skies why have you got all these people off on annual leave it's just very very different to being able to just write it down on a piece of paper like I used to be able to do <laughs>
0: I think we spoke about this, didn't we? We were talking about kind of flexi time, and because parents get a lot more leeway, don't they, for flexi Mm -hmm. time? Because this is something I've not ever. So I'm a band six now, and I've been, I'm a sister, but I've never been a sister where I've had to manage e rostering or the off duty and shifts and things. I've never had to do anything to do with that. So, what are the rules with that? Like, like, because you'll know a bit more about that than me. Um, so kind of the off
1: duty gets done, people can obviously have, um, emergency annual leave if something drastic has happened, um, and there is like parental leave, do, there is only so many days that you can take in a period of time of that, but obviously, that's still more than someone who doesn't have children get, mm-hmm. you know, they have to take emergency annual leave or they'll have to look at swapping a shift. Um, so that does make it difficult. One, well, I suppose not difficult, but it does seem a bit unfair.
0: Yeah. I mean, for
1: those that don't have children or, you know, by no fault of their own, don't have children. It's not like it's a choice that people get to make. Some people do make that choice. Some other people, are, they don't get that choice.
0: And that think, makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. Because I, I think we were saying, have you got a? Your partner's got a child, hasn't he? Yeah. So she is a big part of your life, and but because she's not your biological child, you don't get the same. It's not a perk. What's the word I'm looking for? You don't get the same, like the same rules, like a. Like could you have a set day a week, for example, if it was a childcare issue?
1: Um I don't I personally I don't know. I don't feel like it would probably come come around as easy. Mm. Um probably marriage or something will play a part in there somewhere. But again, these are things. That people who've made, made the rules have made, whereas now not everyone gets married, you know. People wow. have children that um, from other relationships. There needs to be some more kind of like acknowledgement of flexibility there for other people as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And just in general, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the same with um, like compassionate leave. So, There are people who obviously don't have two parents from childhood. They've always, Mm -hmm. you know, just had their mum or just had their dad. So they might have kind of a surrogate parent or, you know, a second parent figure, parental figure, who's actually a grandparent or a sibling or something. And it's always like immediate family. And it's like, well, hang on a second. Who says just because they're biologically my family, that they are my immediate family and they're the people that I need time off for. It's like I was really close to my great-granddad, like really, really close. He was definitely a father figure to me. I saw him like nearly every day my whole life. and mm-hmm. But because he was my great-granddad and he was very elderly when he passed away, it was almost like the attitude was just, oh, well, he's not your immediate family. It's like, yes, he fucking is. Don't tell me who my immediate family yeah. is. And I almost think like you should be able to, do you know, like, Oh, like when you start the job, like start your job, you write down who your immediate family are. <laughs> yeah, like a family tree. Yeah, like you have to give your family tree and be like, right, this, this <laughs> is my immediate family. These are the people who are, you know, important to me and I have to care for if anything happens or yeah. rather just then it's you. Because what if you don't have your mum? What if you don't have your dad? Then do you know what I mean? It's not again, Yeah, there's not other people there.
1: that fill that role.
0: Yeah, completely. And that's that's something that winds me up as well like yeah it's not something I've had to have much to do with really like from like a leadership role or anything like that but I just think it's so important that we just look after our like look after everybody or we we feel looked after and we feel valued and yeah it all happened to be policy and rules like oh well actually I'm very sorry but your great granddad is not your immediate family, therefore you are only entitled to one day compassionate leave. It's like, come on, like we're, we're human. You've known me for how many years? You you've seen how close I am to my granddad. You know how how much I love him and how much of a part he's played in my life. Why do the rules matter? Like,
1: yeah, very- yeah, show compassion, like compassion for your, you know, your colleagues or your staff. It's mm. it's so important because it's not like it's just kind of you come back into the environment after losing someone as well and you're face to face with people that are extremely sick you know you you can experience people dying and like dealing with grief is bad enough on its own let alone when you are dealing with your own grief and then grief of someone else or your patient that you may have looked after for the last 10 days or two weeks or you know you've built that relationship there and you know you're an empathetic person and you can literally feel how that other person must be feeling right now it's just such a kind of emotionally draining like thing to experience
0: yeah And have you experienced that where you've been, you've had a loss or you've you've been going through like the grieving process yourself and then like either triggers at work, because that was something I experienced. I had a lot of triggers at work or like you say, you need that love and support. You need your time to grieve, but you're having to support other people. And it's, yeah, is that something you've experienced personally?
1: Yeah yeah so I um, have experienced um, a loss myself and then obviously you come into work after having your your day or I think obviously people deal with grief in different ways as well and I think um, how you deal with it is how you deal with it but it makes it tough so I've just come like back into work and then you experience this with other other family members or people becoming unwell and it's just it's so tough because you know you, it's like you're experiencing it again you can feel like you know how that other person's feeling you you know it's just yeah i can't explain how tough it is it's just
0: it's hard and again with us not having any sort of formal training on well being support or how to recognize compassion fatigue we also don't have any formal training on dealing with bereavement or dealing with death and yeah we do deal with it day in day out and it's like something that i've only really recognized since or been or been made aware of since having a lot of therapy myself is and doing my counselling studying is therapeutic use of self and I actually don't think so therapeutic use of self is, is something I don't know if you've heard of it, that you shouldn't actually do very often like it's not something you should actively do so if you've got a, obviously a patient who's who's dying and they're you know they're, they're palliative they're on the end of life path where their family are there and you've just experienced a loss yourself so that's quite a triggering situation for you but for you to say to that person, I know how you feel and I've just lost my dad or I've just lost my sister. Like I know what you're going through. Sometimes that therapeutic use of sound is actually really unhelpful. But no one has trained us or taught us how mm-hmm. how, and when it's appropriate to use that or how how to effectively support people when not just the the relatives of the dying but the dying person how do we look after the dying person how do we how do we do all of that what training have we had it's insane yeah
1: yeah it's kind of learn on the job thing but it's not something you can just learn on the job you don't know you don't you can't just um what's the word i'm looking for oh that worked with that patient so i'll try it with that Person, you know, I'll explain it this way this time, and it doesn't work like that. And especially not when someone is, you know, dying. It's awful. Like you want the best. You, if anyone dies, you want them to have like the best death possible. Yeah. And you always, I don't know if everyone else does it, but I'm, I, I would assume they do. Um, you know, you always treat them like they're a member of your family, but that makes it harder because it brings back the feelings that you've had previously or you know you literally put like every like piece of you into it and making sure that family's okay and you know it's like all of your energy and you know you take on all of their energy as well and it's it's sad like how do you then not take that energy home with you you know And it's so hard, I think, for people that don't work in healthcare to understand how much energy you take on from other people, you know, especially when they're unwell and like how you can come home and, you know, hats off to people that can kind of
0: compartmentalise it.
1: Yeah, pop it to one side and come in and just be, you know, that happy, more, more happy dad and, you know, don't let their children acknowledge it but I find that would be so hard
0: yeah like and we're not given those tools we we know somebody needs to tell us what to do like because we don't fucking know and we're all losing our shit and we're all up sick with stress and we're all burning yeah. out we're all just like losing our minds and it's I just think oh this could have been so preventable this could have been prevented like our biggest issue now as is nurses being like the biggest workforce in healthcare is staff retention we can't retain people we can't get people into the profession and now with the pandemic and the lack of well-being support people yeah. are leaving the profession and it's like we need you to be nurses but we need to look after each other and we need to make a change we've got to change the culture and we've got to get rid of that stigma and we've got to really say like look someone give us the tools like we need to know how to look after ourselves and I think I I left nursing when one of the reasons was because I worked in intensive care and I had that emotional burnout I couldn't I couldn't compartmentalize I couldn't not take it home and lie awake at night Mm -hmm. if my patient has survived if they're going to be there the next morning and I'd just be so emotional obviously like the highs and lows of intensive care is yeah like you'd have a patient who was sick sick and they should have died like or you thought they were going to die numerous occasions over months and months and you just thought they are never going to get better this is horrendous and then a miracle happens and they do get better and they go home and then six months later you see them walking onto the unit with a box of chocolates and a card and you just break down it is the most rewarding and overwhelming feeling to know that Mm -hmm. you were part of their recovery you your nursing your care your your skills what you did was was you know detrimental to that recovery and and it's just mind-blowing you can't put it into words but then the lows where you lose a really young patient or you know something really traumatic happens and it's, it, I just I, I couldn't deal with that and there was just nothing in place at the time and I still I don't know if there is and um, I don't think I've told you I'm being redeployed to ITU mm-hmm. So I go back on Monday and I haven't worked in ITU for nearly six years now and I'm fully anxious like it, has, it really hit me today now yeah and I'm feeling like do you know when you get that lump in your throat every time you go yeah. about it and I'm and what I'm most frightful of is how I'm going to cope with the level of death because I've not been exposed to that for a long time
1: and Um, it's not even like it's a normal like I say a not but this is the thing to us a normal amount it's like an extreme amount
0: yeah and I am thinking I still don't have the tools I still don't know how to deal with it I don't know how I'm going to cope I don't know still don't know (laughs) and I think I'm lucky that I've had you know like I say a lot of therapy and I've done my own counseling training and I've been to bereavement counseling when I lost my granddad and I've got good friends and family and I am very open but I still just don't know how what I'm going to do I'm just going to have to take it as it comes and utilize any you know any resources and that that are there have have
1: um just out of curiosity, have you asked what resources are available for you going back into that situation? Have they told you that there's, you know, support, well-being support on the end of it? You know, they will pay for or, you know, there's a counsellor in the hospital that you're going to be able to talk to no.
0: or helpline? No. So nobody has actually said, you know, you're being redeployed. It's going to be difficult, blah, blah, blah or giving me any actual information the only reason I know is because I'm such a big kind of champion for well-being and mental health Mm -hmm. I've gone looking for it all and I'm I'm part have you heard of the Schwartz rounds no so the Schwartz rounds are at various hospitals across the UK I want to say they're worldwide I'm not I'm not actually sure but um it's basically like a forum and a safe space to just go and vent it's not to Mm -hmm. get advice to get answers there'll be speakers there's a theme every month and it's just an hour a month it's an hour towards your continual professional development so you get a certificate to say that you've attended it they are absolutely amazing and my friend introduced me to them and I went to one and as soon as I went I was like this is this is exactly what we need but people still aren't aware of it but because I'm aware of that and my friend took me to that I'm doing my training on Thursday this week, actually, to become Mm -hmm. a facilitator, and then I'm facilitating the one in February. But there are still people I speak to who've never heard of it. They don't know it exists, and that's only one hour a month. And Mm -hmm. because of social distancing and limited resources and space, not everybody can go. And because of a lack of staff, people can't be released from the wards to attend. So it's just like, I know there are things out there, but I'm just thinking... Yeah. How can we bring them so that they're
1: in people's minds? Yeah. Is it something that's only done in work time or is it, you know, kind of what hours do they do them at?
0: Well, that's the thing, because it's so new to the trust I work at. It is, there's only five of four, there's two facilitators. I'm about mm-hmm. to be third. There's five of us in the steering group for it. And we just really quickly meet. It's had to be on Zoom recently, obviously. And it's just been like, right, um, what mm-hmm. day do we do? And we just have to try and find a date we can do in a time. And that's it. Yeah. That has to be the date. And we're just playing with right, what day of the week works best. And I had to use annual leave to come in and attend mm-hmm. because my um manager did not didn't agree with it. She just didn't get it and didn't think it was important to yeah. my role that I attended, which is half of the battle really that people are facing. Um but yeah, there are there are things out there and I'm aware of them, like the Employee Assistant Program, NHS England has a lot of cool call, call lines and helplines, Samaritans, mm-hmm. Charity Mind. So there are and there is a resource pack at the trust. Um Okay. But no, nobody has told me about that. I've gone looking for it. Which mm-hmm. is, kind of speaks volumes really, doesn't it? Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed what you're listening to so far we've covered so many topics and we're having such a lovely conversation so in the second half we go on to talk about Charlotte's coping mechanisms a bit more which cover the need for structure, exercise, meditation, counselling and you'll be glad to know um, I bring up the Headspace app again in case I haven't mentioned it lol. Uh, We also talk about some of the things other countries do and i don't want to give it away but australia and canada wow some of the the things they have in place for employees and their mental well-being is insane so on that note i will let you carry on listening to me and charlotte here we are okay so charlotte i just wanted to ask you a little bit more about um your coping strategies and what you do because we've kind of talked a lot around you know feeling stressed and grief and being overwhelmed and but what have you got anything that you find really effective or has been effective in the past when you've been particularly down or anxious
1: I have a whole routine (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) no I find kind of routine helps so my whole life that it's not not fully I am spontaneous but I like to have kind of certain things that I do most days or yeah. on certain days yeah
0: yeah and what does that structure give you do you feel like it gives you a sense of control or is it is it just that you like to know it's it's comforting knowing what's going to happen so you've got that like you say those patterns and you're like right okay well I yeah know, day I do that
1: yeah and it just helps me fit in the things that help with my well-being. Um, so for example, you know, can't exercise every day and you don't kind of want to do it. Sometimes you do want to do it ad hoc, but you know, having the structure in so I know that every other day, or you know, I can get in and um a workout twice in the week just helps kind of balance that and burn off some of that anxious energy, or if I've had know a bit of a stressful day it just helps to to deal with that um so having that structure really helps me fit that in just so that I can look after myself you know it's one of the ways that I I manage the stress or if I'm like overthinking or anxious
0: Mm. and just
1: helps me deal with all of them things um
0: what kind of meditation do you do
1: uh I Ooh, I've dabbled in everything, um, but I really enjoy
0: lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, so I, I love weight training. I need to get back yeah. to get it. And every time I'm talk- feeling strong. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's so strange because you are physically strong. Like obviously, you get physically stronger, and you recognize those little milestones when you start lifting a bit heavier or doing a bit more. Yeah, it's really rewarding because you you can see the changes physically. But it really it's really hard to explain to people how effective it is for like your mental strength. Yeah. It's really, it's, I I can't articulate it very well at all, but it is, I really, I'm going to use you as my inspo to get back into it because I know I'm going to need it being redeployed back to ITU. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Even if it's just like 15 minutes, you know, just, it just helps. So I've done that. I've I've run in the past, but I'm not a fan of running in the cold.
0: (laughs) No, nor me. Were you about to say uh, meditation?
1: Yes, that's something else that I've brought into my life. Um, Just to have that kind of peace, I kind of like to use guided meditations because it gives me something to focus on and stops my mind wondering so much about, oh, did I give so-and-so their Parkinson's med at the right time or did I forget something or, you know did I send that patient a form for their blood tests or wherever it may may be that I'm working it just stops me thinking about all these things that I may have or probably haven't forgot but I think I have
0: yeah and what do you use like do you use an app or um so
1: I use just a guided meditation channel on YouTube which is really good just 10 minutes because although it'd be great if we could meditate for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, fitting it into your busy everyday life is not always as easy as that. So I kind of do 10 minutes and if I haven't managed to get it done in the day or in the morning, I um, sometimes will listen to Headspace at night, the little calming stories. I
0: love Headspace. I feel like they need to sponsor me when this podcast takes off and, <laughs> and I actually have more than yeah. eight listeners. I need headspace to sponsor me. Cause I think I mentioned them in every single. Yeah. I've had so far, like a headspace has changed my life. Like, so do you like the sleep stories? Yeah. What's your favorite yeah. one? Um, I like the ones
1: where it's like a trickling stream. Uh, I also like the beach type ones, uh, anything that makes me feel like I'm on holiday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Have you listen to the beach coma when she walks you down the steps? yeah on the concrete steps onto the beach
1: yeah
0: oh that's and they cool. make me
1: fall asleep like that as well I never get to the end of them
0: oh me too I'm the exact same they are so good I wish again it's one of those things where if somebody said to me even like well like three years ago you're gonna listen to meditate do guided meditations and listen to sleep tests every night I'll be like oh shut up no I'm not yeah but, oh, they are so amazing.'m and I found them really down people's throat. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I find them really I start say so my partner had listened to stuff um on and off before, and he kind of brought it to me and I was like,, mm, I'm not sure about this, but I'll give it a try. And then when I worked shifts at the hospital still and I did a lot of night shifts, I found they really helped me try and get back into my nighttime routine. Oh. Um, I would listen to something to fall asleep to, and sometimes I'd just listen to the rain. Like rain on a tent or just any old sound, um, and it would help or it'd block out the noise of like people mowing their lawns and things when I was sleeping in the day. And then we kind of moved on to these, and um, yeah, I love them.
0: Do you know what, as well? I'm so glad you've just said about not using it for night shifts because again, I haven't done nights in years and I haven't even thought about how I'm going to handle sleeping in the day again and I, I, really, I don't think I'd it across my mind to use Headspace for that so that is such a nice little reminder for me to use Headspace when I start doing nights again in a week or so it's such a good app do you do the meditations on Headspace have you seen the um SOS meditations
1: no there's another another app that I've used um that's free and they have so much stuff on there
0: oh what's that? um
1: called smile in mind it's um oh, of that an Australian-based charity and they're really um, trying to get mindfulness and meditation taught in schools and Mm -hmm. it's something that they're quite passionate about so there's like family meditations on there, meditations for children, the NHS workers, sleep, kind of getting into meditation and they're really really good and they're only um, between I think you know some are a couple of minutes long some are 20 minutes long but they kind of build you up and let you try different styles
0: amazing oh my god I'm definitely going to be doing that this afternoon definitely because I think yeah I am feeling anxious today I don't, like, I don't know if people people listening can hear but I keep having to take really deep breaths and I know you could probably see me like using all of my accessory muscles and like <gasps> <laughs>
1: listen to a positivity one in the morning I have I've got a good one that um I'll, I'll send you after you. Yeah, um, it it's just and it has like at the end it's got a couple of like positive affirmations and one is um uh like something like your today's going to be a good day or your you know today's going to be filled with positivity despite your surroundings mm. so it doesn't matter where you are and like how bad everything is it's still going to be okay and yeah. it's just really it really like I'm like oh yeah,
0: that's a nice <laughs> thing to hear <laughs> it's hard isn't it how effective it is but yeah it's so good I love it I love meditation and head stakes. so we've said you like lifting weights and completely relate to that meditation 100% is there anything else that you've done or had to do in the past that has been that you've got a lot of benefit or comfort from counseling (laughs) okay I
1: think having time to talk to someone it's not something that come around very easily um and I think again it's the stigma behind it but I think having someone to talk to who's completely removed from you emotionally from yeah and you know yeah. doesn't it's great having a partner that listens and you know supports you but sometimes you know they want to fix things and they can't always fix everything. So having someone completely separate that you know can can give you a balanced view or just let you see things from a different way or will just listen to you
0: is amazing. Yeah. completely agree i had person-centered therapy and it was that validation because i don't know if you if you can relate to this or not but i have such negative feelings and thoughts about the way i felt so i'd express a negative feeling like i feel i just feel so angry about this this and this and i just feel so pathetic for feeling like that it's ridiculous i need to get over it i'm being stupid and it's it's that like you say objective person who can say why is that stupid would you would you tell your friend she was stupid if she felt like that do you not think that that's a valid reason to be angry or to be sad and -hmm. it's like oh oh like it really takes you back and you're like yeah I'd never speak to my friend like that of course that's a valid reason to be angry why am I calling myself stupid and pathetic and that that's what you need it's that validation isn't it well I don't know is was it similar for you yeah definitely and just kind
1: of just being heard, I think, you know, we're not, you know, we don't talk about our emotions enough. We're not taught how to talk about emotions. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously some people are, some people have very, you know, open and family t- relationships, dynamics. They're taught these things, but in general, the majority, majority of us, we're not taught how to talk about these emotions and you know kind of you put on a brave face you're gonna you bury them or you just put them to the back of your mind yeah when actually you should be heard and like you said what you're saying and how you feel is valid yeah so it yeah I think
0: it it's just a really
1: kind of eye-opening and Worthwhile experience.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for counselling, and I know how difficult it is. I know how hard therapy and counselling is. It's not as easy like you, like people think that you you, you just sit mm. and talk. It's it's everything that you gain from talking and from being heard. And I think that's what you're really getting. Yeah. It's not the the talking, it's the being heard part. And for me, it's not the talking; it's the validation and yeah it's so good it's absolutely brilliant again they need to do this in schools and we need to have a whole lesson on emotional intelligence it should be a GCSE like yeah. geography geography did nothing for me I did a leaflet on like the Amazon or something I, can't, I couldn't tell you <laughs> about the Amazon give me a GCSE on well-being and meditation any day <laughs>
1: definitely
0: yeah I know what you told me that I wanted to talk about when we were chatting before we were saying oh you were saying about something to do with Canada and well-being days and sick days
1: yeah so there's so so um my dad's friend he lives in Canada and he um they have set amount of sick days to take um in a year and so you take them if you're sick, but even if you're not sick and you um, haven't been unwell, taken them all. They tell you to take them um, and have them as like well-being days, so that you can just like fill your cup up and do have some time for yourself, which is amazing. And we should have well-being days. Um, my friend also works for a charity, and she's able to take well-being days. Mm. um obviously you know there's got to be some kind of limitation there yeah otherwise people be take, could be taking them every day but um I think it's something that you know we should look at and think about because Definitely. you know especially now more than ever you know how people in ITU or even on the wards dealing with death and sick people that that's not sustainable for a long period of time. People are going to get burnt out, burnt out, you know. People can have really horrific shifts.
0: Yeah.
1: And people need to acknowledge that and, you know, say, shall I get your shift covered tomorrow? Can we? You know, should we try and get that covered? Do you need time out? Yeah. Check in with them. See if they need some time for their, their well-being, like physically and mentally.
0: Yeah. That's amazing and I think there's always going to be people who abuse it like you say that <laughs> want to take a well-being day every day I'd probably be one of them people <laughs> but I think when people have that that option if anything they're less likely to abuse it once it's obviously embedded in culture and it's part of just you know standard practice that you, you're entitled to yeah in days and even the company I worked at previously like say so when I wasn't in the NHS and I wasn't giving direct care I wasn't classed as you know frontline or whatever we had ours was an hour we were allowed a well-being hour uh, once a month and even that was a game changer because I could just stand up and I would I'd just get up put my phone on hold and be like oh I'm just going to take a well-being hour I'm just going to go into the meeting room Mm -hmm. and do some coloring (laughs) and that's what I would do there were loads of months where I didn't need it and I didn't use it but knowing that I worked in an environment where it was sincerely open and honest and they cared and they didn't, they didn't always get it right. I mean, they tried to do some coaching sessions on mental health and it wasn't, it wasn't done in the, in the correct way. I don't think because it was pre way pre pandemic and Mm -hmm. it was delivered by somebody who didn't believe in it themselves. They were just a bit like, well, this is a bit of a joke. Oh yeah. Remember to do this and meditate. And he, he didn't, deliver it well because he didn't believe mm-hmm. what he was coaching us on or you know trying to teach us so but I think but the thought was there from above somebody above tried to implement this and get it in place and they were able to put it in place and it made a huge difference it did to me anyway and yeah I think that I think we really need to start doing more don't we for our healthcare professionals and not just nurses like you say like, like everybody from our cleaners from our porters doctors everybody we need to do more for people's mental health and well-being 100 percent is there anything else that you've utilized so it sounds like you are really proactive and in a way it's making me feel quite proud of myself because um because i've implemented a lot of things you've implemented and it's making me quite reflective and think oh oh i've done these things i went and sought counseling and help and I meditate and I you know did train at one point and you know try and do all these things is there anything else or anything you would really recommend? Um, It's not something that I've
1: done consistently but I think it could be beneficial for those that are kind of like writing but journaling and kind of journaling through what's happened at work kind of getting it on paper and getting it out of your mind and it's not something that really comes that easy to me but I you know can really see the benefits of it so just you know making people aware and teaching people that you've got to find what's right for you and what Fills your cup up and making sure that you know they spend time doing that
0: and finding it like you say I'm so, yeah. so, so glad you just said that because not wow. everything does work for everybody does it so we're here like oh my god yes meditation <laughs> yeah it, it isn't for everybody and there are so many different resources and things like my sister loves colouring she does a lot of adult colouring and that's really good for her peace of mind and her, you know, to make her feel calmer and relaxed. And when mm-hmm. her head's really busy, she's got, she's not in healthcare, but she's got a really stressful role and it helps her kind of just switch off and come down and like ground herself again. And there's so many different, whereas I hate coloring. I hate it. I could do the odd little bit here and there with somebody again, yeah. but I'd never go looking for it or I'd never be like, Oh, I can't wait to go home and color. Like, do you know what I mean? But it works for her. Yeah and yeah that is really important isn't it finding what works for you I still just can't get out of my head that people in Canada are are told to take their sick days yeah imagine Imagine. it's really good imagine I can't even imagine that being a thing in England
1: no it's not the best thing yet either um in Australia they can work in a place not everywhere offers it but a good few places offer it so you can work for um I think it's three years and you get 80% of your wage for them three years I think it's three no it would be four years Mm -hmm. so you get 80% of your wage for four years and then you can apply to have the fifth year off But that 20% that you've not been receiving in your wage every year, year, you get on that year. So you have a paid year off work to do whatever you want.
0: Oh, shut up. How amazing is that? And just think how. The front door. Yeah.
1: Um, My friend, um, her partner's sister, she works. in a nursery and that's what she does so she'll get 80% of her wage for them four years and then she'll have a year where they've spent not the whole year but they've spent time like traveling around making memories with family you know doing all them things spending time with her kids you know which I think is just amazing
0: that is amazing I can't believe I've never
1: how yeah you know how well like would you it's just kind of having that time off you know you're getting paid you're going to be more committed to the role that you're in because you know if you're just there for four years you get the year off and then you're back it's kind of yeah it's just that's amazing I think yeah like obviously other countries if you there's not everywhere's perfect and you know you've got your pros and cons of every company every business every healthcare, care yeah. you know provider but these little things that kind of help build people up or look after people yeah. you know we should be looking at them and thinking how can we you know bring this to the NHS and I appreciate that NHS is completely you know underfunded but if we spent a little bit of that funding looking after all of the staff and you know looking after their well-being in the long run we would save so much and you know we wouldn't be having staff burnt up staff going off sick um people would be happier in their their jobs and feel
0: supported and valued and appreciated yeah Definitely, and I think as well, like you say, it's good to point out we're not just completely slate in England and being like, "Wow, Canada do this and Australia do this," because like you say, we do have to recognize that we are very lucky and we have the NHS. Yeah, they they don't. So I know some countries have other things that are quite similar, um, but yeah, we are in insanely privileged and insanely lucky to have yeah. the NHS. And that's the thing, you want that to continue. We
1: don't want that to disappear and or not have enough staff to run it. So then it's like, oh, wow, well, we have to privatise it now because it's the only way we're going to get staff filled. You know, you want to be able to look after it and the people that work in it, you know, are some of the best people out there because they give everything for that role and for that job and for the NHS.
0: Yeah, it's like the amount of unpaid hours we give as nurses, that, that goes completely unrecognised because it's just an expectation. It's kind yeah. of every role I've ever been in, and I've been in four roles within the NHS now. There is that, and I, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, it's almost like frowned upon to turn your computer off on time or frowned upon if you're saying... Right, this is eating into my time now. I, I, I need to get home. It's. Mm-hmm. Did you find the same that there is just that expectation that you always stay late? Um. I I don't.
1: It's kind. I think it's kind of down to you as a person as well, and I think a lot of people, and I've done it myself. You know that something needs to get done, so if you don't stay behind and do it now you know when are you gonna do it yeah you know because tomorrow is another day and you're gonna be busy and and at the same time you know you've got a poorly patient you can't just be like okay I need to go and eat my lunch now so you monitor your own obs you know
0: (laughs) it doesn't work like that yeah yeah you you kind of yeah you can't be like can you stop having this cardiac arrest now because I've got to go have my sandwich can you just wait half an hour yeah (laughs)
1: And then it's like, when you finish dealing with that, oh, actually, now I need to do the drug round or, you're behind you know. Else. And it's like, do I go and have my lunch or do I give the drugs late? Which then puts you back with, you know, doing obs or handing over. And it's just like a a, a rollover
0: effect. Yeah, just like a so, bit of alcohol, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and then when you're trying to fit in, you know, looking after patients and then doing some like management tasks or like the off duty or you know your team sheets with your skill skill mix it's just like oh when am I going to do this and they can give you a management day but if your ward short you can't sit in an office and get that stuff done you need to be on the ward with your team so it's just a an ongoing cycle of
0: yeah and it all comes down to not never having enough staff even pre-pandemic there's yeah nurses there's never been enough staff but again I always find my conversation always leads me back to it's because we don't look after them yeah if we looked after our staff if if people felt valued if people you know nurses and everyone knew there was somewhere to go and they felt supported and they worked in this sincerely open environment and mm-hmm. had this culture where they could express themselves freely and people would validate them and they wouldn't feel pathetic or like they weren't resilient or you know all these things then we'd have enough staff and we wouldn't have a lot of these issues it's just always going back to that I feel I mean yeah yeah I agree I definitely agree yeah
1: but we love it (laughs) (laughs) can't get enough of it gluten for punishment that's what it is isn't it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I always like to end on, but we do love being nurses.
1: <laughs> That's the thing though, you, it's like, what else do you do? If you actually think about it, like, can can you see yourself doing anything else? You know, you try and do these things, but it always brings you back to yes. the NHS and being a nurse and yeah, caring for people and, you know, this is just... It just has you in your soul.
0: (laughs) It is. It's just like ingrained in you. Once you've been an NHS nurse, I think there's like no escape. (laughs) Like you always, and even people who have left, like most of them, they feel, they've expressed to me anyway, a lot of conversations I've had recently is they feel guilty and they do miss being a a real nurse, as they call it. And that's exactly why I came back. Like I took a huge paper and I worked from home two days a week I had the cushiest lifestyle ever but I missed being a nurse I didn't feel like I, I had purpose anymore I missed caring for people I missed feeling like I was making a difference and that's what it comes down to and I think that's just what we always when we have these bad days and we're stressed and we just think yeah but look what we're doing like look how rewarding this is like yeah yeah we do love it so yes it's hard but if you're listening to this please come and be a nurse it's very rewarding yeah. we need more staff we'll help you we'll help you build that resilience um
1: <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for yeah we'll give you this uh, tool so that you can feel your cook back up you won't <laughs> you won't have burnout honest
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh okay i'm gonna wind i say wind it down We have been speaking for a good hour now and I definitely could just keep going. But thank you so much, Charla. It's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you for
1: coming on the podcast. You're more than welcome.
0: (laughs) I don't know about you, but after that, I'm seriously contemplating immigrating to Australia or Canada. I mean imagine that imagine being told to take your sick days if you've not taken them it's crazy but it makes so much sense and that whole work for four years have a year off i am all about that i am definitely gonna suggest that at my trust and say you know we can't keep shouting around that we're innovative in our trust values and then not having a crack at something and i think we should really take a leaf out of um australia's book I think that'd be absolutely... I'm just... I can't believe it. Yeah. I might as well just pack my bag now. I might- oh, no, I can't. We're in a pandemic. <sighs> Maybe when this is all over, I'll attempt to move to Australia. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I absolutely loved talking to Charlotte. It was so lovely. And I just really appreciate her coming on the show, as I do with all my wonderful guests. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review... Send me an email, themadmoonpodcast at gmail.com if you've got any suggestions or anything you'd like to hear on the podcast. Um, Also follow me on Instagram at themadmoonpodcast. And yeah, hopefully you guys keep listening because I'm really enjoying myself. Thanks again. Bye.